Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of this week's police and law enforcement news. I'm your host, Joe Vince, Assistant Editor for Officer Magazine. And it would be at this point where I would kick it over to my co-host, uh, retired Lieutenant Frank Borelli, but he is not here today, so instead, I'd like to introduce... This is Paul Peluso. I'm the editor of Officer Magazine, and thanks for having me this week, Joe. Yeah. Uh, Frank is in Las Vegas at SHOT Show. Um, uh, he's been out there all week, and if you've kind of uh, been on our uh, Facebook page or, or on the site, you've seen some of the photos he's uh, taken from there. Uh, he will be back uh, uh next week but glad to have uh paul uh in the house here and uh as always we've got a, a pack pack show so uh we'll we'll get started our first story and actually we we start out with uh two stories of uh dramatic um ice rescues um the first one out of uh michigan um where a uh dundee police officer um, saved a boy, a 12-year-old boy who had fallen through the ice in a frozen pond. Um, the uh, boy had been spotted actually by uh, a delivery driver who called 911. And um, when uh, Dundee officer uh, Joe Schumacher uh, got to the scene, he took a rope and a, a flotation device. But um, this is a case, too, where you see just the dangers involved in, in making these types of rescues. Um, he actually, uh, he himself fell into the ice trying to um, rescue the boy. Luckily, he was still able to um, wade through the water and um, reach the boy and other uh, first responders there were able to to pull him in and everyone was able to uh, get to safety. But, uh, uh, you know, you, you see definitely the, the dangers involved. And then um, also a, another um, uh, frozen pond rescue. This one was out of um, Arkansas, Jonesboro, um, where a, a young boy was um, clinging to the, the side of a frozen pond. Uh, and uh, luckily, uh, Jonesboro police officer Troy Ellison was able to leap a fence and run across the yard to reach the boy and pull him to safety. But um, and um, Officer Ellison's body camera uh, captured uh, the rescue. But in both of these cases, um, you see just how um, quickly things um, can become precarious for the rescuers, and especially when you're dealing with, uh, you know, freezing temperatures uh, involved uh, with the, you know, these rescues. Yeah, so a lot of, uh, you know, officers in different locations throughout the country are dealing with, you know, this cold spell and brings a lot of snow and ice and the freezing temperatures. And yeah, I, I think both of these, especially with the Arkansas one where you have the body cam video, you can really see um, what what happened there and kind of take away some some tips uh, for, for those types of rescues. I think with the one in Ohio, it, it, it really shows, you know, the truck driver called 911, the officer came and still got himself into a position, um, making that rescue that these rescues can go bad really quickly and that it's just imperative that that civilians leave it up to the professionals uh you know he he had 
equipment, if that civilian went in and tried to save the boy, could have gone very bad very quickly. Yeah, and um, with the officer who had, had fallen um, into the, the pond as well, um, I think that was a 20 feet uh, of, of water and um, there are photos from the scene and you you just see two heads, you know, the boy and, and the officer. Um, and unlike, uh, a, you know, a warm water, just a, a normal temperature rescue. I mean, once you hit that water, uh, the clock's ticking because you, you've got uh, hypothermia. You're just and and you're um, getting cold really fast. And even when you get out of the water, you know, unless you have people nearby with blankets and 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 other ways to to warm you up, um, you can still um, you know have the the adverse effects of the cold, um, and, and that can um, that can get bad real quick. So, um, but also just, you know, great job by both officers in, um, in saving these kids. Um, and, and as just as a, as a general warning, you know, even though it's temperatures might be below freezing and, um, there might be a snow on the ground, uh, stay away from, uh, these you know bodies of water it, it, it's hard to tell what's all frozen through and sometimes that ice isn't strong and can't support the weight of um of of a, of a child let alone let alone adults well yeah joe i, I want to point out, point out one last thing about yeah. uh the, the ohio story mm-hmm. that you see both the dundee police department and the fire department were dispatched and if that 911 call wasn't made um like we said things could have really gone bad that the officer was pulled out by the officers and the firefighters on scene and yeah it just really shows you know the teamwork between dispatch getting the proper people out there and then the the firefighters and the officers helping pull out the officer when once he got trapped too so uh yeah just you know everything was done right but even when it's done right it can it can go bad and that's why it should leave it up to the officers here so that was great definitely on to our next story uh this is out of california where um the uh, Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors are asking the sheriff to consider a ban on deputies uh, drinking while carrying a firearm, both on duty, obviously, but also off duty. Um, this is um, in response to um, uh, some cases in the past few years that um, have involved um deputies who uh, might have uh, overconsumed uh, alcohol um, and um, then also um, were using their firearms inappropriately um, and in some cases while off duty. Um, it, this is uh, this is this type of uh, uh, restriction isn't unusual for um, other departments across the country. I'm trying to check here. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I believe um, uh, Albuquerque has a zero tolerance um, policy when it comes to uh, its officers um, carry drinking and, and carrying firearms. And um, San Francisco and New York City have um, similar policies as well. Uh, right now, uh, this is um, 
I, I really just a a a suggestion for the sheriff to consider it is it is not um a, a rule yet uh, um but it is something that um you know the department is, is going to look at um uh, you know obviously when it comes to being on duty um you know the officer or deputy shouldn't be uh drinking and carrying a firearm um it does become, I guess, a little murkier as far as what becomes sort of the the line, and and you know, is um, is it the same uh, blood alcohol content level that one would have to be considered uh, intoxicated? You know, if they were pulled over, um, should it be even stricter, uh, or should it be like uh, Albuquerque, where it's a zero tolerance? Uh, you know, you. If you're drinking, you just should not uh, have a firearm. Yeah, I kind of wish that Frank was on with us right now because I would <laughs> really like to, to hear his take on it. And like you said, other places do do have uh, this kind of rule in place. Um, but I wonder how how much it's enforced. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think, you know, an officer that's off duty going to maybe a retirement party at a bar or maybe at a sporting event that does allow, you know, off-duty officers to be, uh, be armed um, or, or a concert say it's something where they would want to have their firearm on them um but they may have a drink or two so yeah i wonder how it would be enforced uh how how much it would be enforced unless it's like when when an incident happens takes place and it's something that the the agency can fall back on but uh yeah like i said i i, I would like to definitely hear frank's take on this one um but yeah i, I think the places that already have this type of rule in place that it's for a reason so right and that's a good point to bring it is that um does this probably doesn't isn't even a, a discussion point bec unless there were incidents that that had happened and um uh you know i if if it is if it is becoming a problem um with within a department that uh, you know, officers and deputies aren't able to sort of manage um, their alcohol consumption and responsibly, you know, carrying a, a weapon. Um, you know, does the agency have to step in then and and take that, you know, make the decision uh, for for them? Um, but it'll be it'll be interesting going forward uh, to see what uh, the department ends up doing if it uh, if it decides to set up a, 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 an actual ban or if it modifies things a, a little bit if it if it if it monitors uh, its deputies a little bit more uh, or or thinks of other safeguards. Um, uh, definitely, bottom line is you want to avoid. Um, any type of of incidents where uh off-duty deputy is not using the firearm properly and it's because uh, he or she has been um drinking had too much to drink M moving on to our next story and actually we will uh stay in california and uh you know after last year um you know episode after episode uh i know i've been talking about departments that continue to struggle uh when it comes to um recruiting um and filling vacancies um you know short staff departments struggling to um you know maintain uh 
their coverage. Uh, this is starting the new year. We start with that actually a positive story uh, with the Alameda Police Department, um, who last year uh, began uh, offering uh, seven seventy-five thousand dollar bonuses uh, to new officers, and um, they have seen a lot of success with that, um, getting over 400 applications um, for positions. And now they look close to being able to fill all of their vacancies by the summer. Especially last year, we were hearing a lot about uh, these departments, you know, try looking at any type of incentive to um, to bring in uh, new officers. Um, and it's now nice to see uh, the results of this and, and to see that at least for Alameda, uh, it, it's working and and not just um, not just like a, a little trickle here and there. They um, it, it's it's getting a job done where where, you know, they are they're getting to staffing levels where they feel comfortable. And, and so that's great to see. Yeah. So, you know, when I saw this signing bonuses are used uh Pretty, pretty regularly, especially by larger police departments. Uh, mm -hmm. Not not that this is a small one, but it, it's you know not Los Angeles or Atlanta or New York uh, offering the bonuses here. Now, have to look into this a little bit more, Joe. But when when they're offering seventy five thousand dollars in signing bonuses, is that per officer or just overall? Oh, you know, I'd have, let's see. Um, I'd have to check the story. It says here they're funded by unspent police salaries. Um, yeah, that'd be, I'd be, um, I have to, to check that. I believe it's per officer. That honestly. could be. <laughs> I, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. I know a lot of yeah. departments have really been, um, uh, doing whatever they can. And in this case, like, like I, said you know they're using the the money that was earmarked already for salaries but they haven't been able to fill those positions um and probably we were reworking their their staffing levels to um uh, still work out the math on that well yeah so if you look at um you know the larger agencies and i i guess you know they do have more positions to fill, so mm -hmm. they can't offer as much. But yeah, I think San Francisco was offering five thousand. I think Atlanta was offering um, between. I think it may have been ten thousand before per officer. Seventy-five is definitely the most I've ever heard of. So you would you would hope that if you offered seventy-five thousand dollars in signing bonuses, um, yeah. that that you would attract talent, and they are. Um, I think you know it, it's definitely kind of out there. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I applaud the lawmakers that allow them to do this and the officials that, you know, okayed it because they do need more officers. And like you said, it's funds that were being unspent uh, to begin with. Once you get up to that, you know, where you're fully staffed, which, which it looks like they're, they're just about right there. Yeah. You, you can no longer offer <laughs> huge bonuses. Yeah. I wonder what's attached to these bonuses, how long they have to stay on the force once they receive them. Um, usually there there's uh, things tied to uh, employment right. like that once you get the signing bonus. Um, but, but yeah, and you know, could, could you work there for a couple of years and then move up to say LA or San Francisco or a bigger department within the state, or do you have to stay there for, you know, a number of years? So that would interest me, but yeah, yeah I, I applaud them for uh, being able to do it. You do bring up a point is being able, it, there is a sort of 
a lot of times built in, I guess, sort of like a mini retention in the sense that they are, if they take the bonus, either they have to repay the bonus, they don't want to leave early, or they're staying for um, uh, a number of years. I know um, last year in doing a, a couple stories about some uh, smaller, mid-sized apartments, you know, trying to recruit um I do know that some of, you know, that sort of stepping stone type of uh, aspect to some of these smaller departments, um, leaning into that and being able to, if, if you're able to get these officers sort of, and, and particularly candidates who might not normally, um, you might not normally have gone after, if you're able to get them in the door and if they turn out to be good officers, you end up sort of creating um, your own marketing uh, because uh, it, 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 it's this idea is like, oh, you know what, uh, Alameda is, 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 is creating the, you know, these, these are some really good officers that are coming out of there. Um, you know, maybe we should, um, uh, you know, maybe we should, uh, uh, send candidates who might not be ready for the, a larger department that way, or, um, you know, or I'm you know, looking for a job and I'm thinking, wow, um, I'm seeing a lot of people come out of meter or I have friends in law enforcement or, or saying some good things about it. it that word of mouth, um, it, you know, it, it's surprisingly effective uh, within the law enforcement community and, and can really help. Um, it's just sort of that, uh, it's kind of getting the ball rolling and uh, particularly e even before the pandemic, but definitely um, during the pandemic, um, you know, departments really got hit and um, now they're being able to um, more effectively fill these vacancies. And, and hopefully it, it's, you know, this is snowball effect keeps keeps going. Um, so it, it, it's great to see, um, at least in Alameda, um, you know, this is this is working. And uh, one thing I'll say finally, too, is that um, one of the concerns about these bonuses is always the fact that um, departments, particularly within uh, the same geographic region, can end up um, in uh, sort of bidding wars and um, it, you know, it becomes communities start jacking up the bonuses and, um, it, you know, it, it's your, you're kind of going after the money. Um, I, I know it's a concern. I have yet to, to see it sort of, or at least yet to hear from uh, officials saying where it, it's, it's becoming a, a problem, but it, it's something I, in talking to different sheriffs and deputies or sheriffs and chiefs that is kind of in the back of, of, of their mind is like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to keep going where every year we're, we're adding another 10,000 or, or throwing in a, a, another uh, incentive just to try to, to lure people into, to, to fill our positions. Let's see, moving on to our next story. This is out of, starts actually in Alabama, but uh, moves over into Atlanta where um, an inmate um, had escaped a, jail, a city jail in Alabama and uh, made his way to Atlanta. Um, during the, the escape, however, authorities uh, were able to keep track thanks to security cameras, drones, and so on, but um, 
once the uh, the suspect had reached Atlanta, he decided he had to figure out a way to try to elude police. And the best way he could think of was um, getting into a trash can. Um, body camera from the uh, the incident shows that this wasn't quite the most effective uh, way to hide. Um, and I, I thought it also shows just in how in this day and age, um, I, to sort of paraphrase um, from Casino, you, you can't escape the eye in the sky. Um, there are cameras everywhere and um, authorities across two states are able to, um, you know, pick up sort of the digital uh, visual trail um, and, uh, you know, able to locate um, uh, suspects and and hiding in a garbage can it just just isn't going to cut it uh, these days. My main question with this one, Joe, is what what made him want to go to Atlanta? Uh, <laughs> why, why did he go to a bigger city? You could have, you know, this might fly in Macon, but it's not flying in Atlanta. That's for sure. Uh, just the amount of resources that city and department have that, yeah, they'll they'll find you on their track you down. Yeah, it, it just, um, I, I you know, it it does it does. Um, just it just shows how old I am, I suppose. But just it used to be, I suppose you could you could you like you said you could kind of hide and maybe if you avoid the big cities, it, you can kind of lose yourself. And nowadays, it's a lot harder. Um, it, it's almost impossible to stay off the grid and not just off the grid in the sense I'm not going to use a, a debit card or a credit card, but. Um, the way you can pop up on a on a convenience store camera or um, on, on a street camera on on just regular civilians dash cams or or phones, um, it, it, yeah, it, it's very hard um, nowadays. And and thankfully, uh, it, it's gotten more difficult. And um, you know, it, again, it shows our police are able to from Alabama to Atlanta. Um, uh, track a track a, an escaped inmate. Moving on to our next story and staying in the uh, kind of with the same theme here is is another suspect who had been in custody who made an escape and this is uh, out of Tennessee where a um, a man who had been indicted on two counts of rape um, escaped and he was handcuffed escaped a, a U.S. corrections officer who had been transporting uh, the individual. Um, <clears throat> When he made his escape, he was wearing jeans, a hoodie, and again, had been handcuffed. Um, however, at the time, um, he had be, he was in Memphis, and um, it was reaching um, almost zero degrees out. Um, I think the high was only 21. Um, while on the run for less than an hour, uh, this suspect turned himself into police because it had just gotten way too cold um, and showing that uh, you might be able to escape the police, but ultimately the elements might uh, might get end up getting you. Yeah, he really picked the wrong time of year <laughs> to, to do this in Memphis. Um, it has been very cold there. Um, and I, I would think that this is, you know, it, it gets cold in Memphis, but not this cold. And it's been cold in a lot of places lately. Um, that 
Yeah, it, it just did. But escaping wasn't going to fly in that weather. No, no, he uh, he ended up. I think it was only a, uh, it only gotten away for about forty five minutes, and he ended up just flagging down um, someone who was driving by and uh, turned himself into Memphis police. Um, and and yeah, right now, um, and I. I live, um, I'm just outside of, of Chicago. Um, you know, Paul, you're down in, in Florida. I mean, I, I, I just about, I don't know any place that is it at least a little bit cold or at least cold for, or what they're used to. So, I mean, you can get away with that in Florida. I think the coldest <laughs> we've gotten is maybe 35, maybe 40. Um, so he'd be okay, but in Memphis now. And again, two, um, this is two cases, um, uh, where uh, you know inmates being getting away, and there weren't a lot of details as far as that was happening. But um, hopefully, that's just uh, just some coincidences on that. Um, moving on to our, our next story, and again, we'll stick it with the theme here. Actually, can't escape the cold weather, I guess, right now. But um, this is out of New Jersey, and we've talked about um, police officers uh, delivering babies in extraordinary. Uh, you know, uh, ways. Um, this was a case where uh, a Sparta police officer decided to keep uh, elevating the levels of difficulty uh, with this uh, delivery. Um, off, a Sparta officer Christopher Boda um, was having a meal at uh, headquarters when a call came in about a woman who um, was uh, going into labor uh, in a parked car on side of the road and this was in the middle of a snowstorm um and officer Boda was able to go out and in these extraordinary circumstances uh, was able to deliver the baby um yeah th this this does pop up a lot of times a lot of cases where officers are are called to a home and they need to deliver the 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 baby at the house or, or possibly on the way um, to the hospital, but to have to do it um, in the middle of a snowstorm when you're not, you know, this isn't uh, your your line of work, so to speak. Um, kudos to him. That is a great job um, because, I, you know, even if you might feel used to it or comfortable, I'm sure there's still nerves on that on top of just the stress of of being in the middle of a snowstorm. I, I know just being in a snowstorm and, and driving is stressful for me. So I can't imagine what it's like um, delivering someone else's child um, in the middle of something like that. Yeah, I found it interesting. Uh, Officer Boda said that, you know, it is something that he thinks about, um, but he's never had to put it into practice uh, being able to deliver a baby. And well, he's 25, so he graduated from the academy back in 21 and recalled a presentation on childbirth uh, while attending the academy and said, you know, they didn't, didn't spend a lot of time on it because it's such a rare occurrence that you have to be right. able to do this on the side of the road, let alone during a snowstorm. So, yeah, kudos to him. That's great. So, and thankfully, um, the child is healthy. So, um I'm glad every everyone is okay, and you know what, um, child and parents now have have a, a really great story to tell. You know, it's like, well, mom, tell me about uh, you know how I came into this world. Well, funny story. Yeah. Finally, uh, moving on to our, our last story, and and it, this is a good one to to end with is is a nice feel good story. This is out of Pennsylvania. 
Um, and and it, it shows just the impact that school resource officers have on um, the students they are around every day. Um, <clears throat> let's see, I'll make sure I'm uh, pronouncing this right. The Canoe School District, um, Ray Collins is a um, school resource officer there at um, the elementary school. And he had, uh, he recently had a big surprise when um, one of the students who he has uh, struck up a, 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 a close friendship with, um, a kindergartner uh, named Mason Consider, who has a mild form of cerebral palsy and needs the use of a wheelchair. Um, one day, uh, Officer Collins was surprised when uh, Mason started walking toward him in um, a a a I believe it's a gate trainer mobility assistant device and photos uh, from from this um, show uh, Mason's face as he's doing this. And I, I just can't describe this. I mean, the smile on, on that six year old boy's face is just heartwarming and shows just what an effect um, that relationship um, Officer Collins has with him, um, just to because you just see it in in his eyes uh, and, and in his smile as 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 um, you know he's he's using his new device, um, and and it, it just it, it's a it, it's stories like this I I, I they're touching, um, but it, it just to show the effect that um, these officers can have on young people and, and sort of the, um, the ripple effect that has, um, as, as far as hopefully, um, not just their, 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 those kids own view of law enforcement, but, but also their views of, of service and, and, uh, you know, sort of that paying it forward mentality that you hope, um, continues um this this was just a, a great story and and um it's great that officer collins makes that effort to um get to know students um you know where he's not just an authority figure um he, you know he's someone who um who who, who who shows these kids his humanity, and and I I just think that's that's great. It's this is um, this is an example of um, of, of reaching um, uh, the community in in, in a, a just um, a priceless way. Yeah, and I think that agencies definitely have to when they assign officers to these school resource officer roles, they uh, they definitely need to have the right type of person in that role that you, you know, you can't be too reserved. You can't have someone that's not going to interact or kind of, you know, keep to themselves that the, the best core resource officers are the ones that are able to interact with the, uh, the students and staff on a daily basis. And I've, I've seen it at my, my own kids schools that some of the officers are kind of standoffish, but then some of them like really get into it. And, and those are the ones that really make a lasting impact on uh, these students. So stories like this are just great to see. And I mean, what a rewarding job to, you know, get to be around those kids uh, day in and day out and interact with them.
Officer Collins is a, a former uh, Pennsylvania State Trooper, um, also a, a, a football coach. And there was a, a quote then talking about, um, you know, watching uh, Mason walk with this new device. I'm an old football coach, so I stood at the doorway between the main office and the nurse's office and said, you've got to you've got to get to this finish line, buddy. If you want your treat, you've got to make it the whole way to me. He was so determined. He made it to the whole way through the nurse's office and got to the finish line. And I gave him a big hug. Um, just that type of encouragement to just, um, I'm sure for a, a six-year-old who is um, facing these physical challenges and, um, you know, trying to, um, use this new device to, to have that sort of, to have that, that encouragement and to have another person in his corner. Um, uh, you know, I, I hope I, I got to think that's got to just, you know, just help that much more and give him, you know, spur him on that he's got, um, not, not a, a coach really, but, but, but a friend behind him. Um, so again, great, uh, Great job. I can't say enough, Officer Collins. Uh, good work. That wraps it up for us uh, this week. Uh, as always, thank you uh, for listening. Um, next week, uh, Frank should be back uh, in the seat and we'll be looking at stories again. Thanks again, Paul, for uh, pinch hitting and, and, and filling in. Thanks for having me, Joe. I always enjoy doing these. And again, um, thanks again for listening, everyone, and take care and stay safe. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Lineup. Please remember, the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.